in Rome was the opportunity to work as a spiritual director with Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta. And Mother Teresa of Calcutta was once asked, what is the greatest moment in one's life? And she said, there are two great moments in one's life, the present moment and the moment of our death. And is that not what we pray, my sisters and brothers, when we pray a prayer that we often say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. We don't know when that hour of death is coming, and so right now, if in fact we live our life according to the way that Christ calls us to, then we need not fear the moment of death when it comes. It will come. And the season of Lent is a reminder. And for those of you who were at Mass earlier today, at one of the three Masses this morning, sorry I wasn't able to be here last night, but I spoke of how the church calls us to this annual spiritual checkup called the season of Lent. Healthcare professionals again tell us of the importance of having an annual physical examination. But sadly, many Americans fail to go to the doctor. And sometimes they don't even go to the doctor when they are feeling sick and they think, I'll be able to get over this by myself. And what happens? Sadly, we get more and more sick. And finally, out of a last resort, we go to the doctor and then the doctor asks that question that I don't want him to say, but I know he's going to ask it. Why did you wait so long? Why did you wait so long? And sometimes we wait so long that we endanger our own health. I suggest, my brothers and sisters, that the same thing holds true in terms of our attitude towards a spiritual checkup, that I'm really not sure I want to know. I don't want to go to the divine physician. Ooh, doggies, how foolish are we? You see, when you go to the doctor, the doctor often asks questions about your symptoms. And so you then have to make a decision. Am I going to be honest or am I going to withhold information? And sometimes is it not true that the most important information that we need to share with the doctor is the very, very thing that I will not say. Father Kyle, perhaps you've had the same experience that I have, that in the sacrament of reconciliation, what a beautiful gift this is, but what happens in the sacrament of confession is that oftentimes a person will go into the sacrament, and I'm again just using a hypothetical scenario here, this is not a real confession, but someone that goes in and says, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, it has been so long since my last confession. I told a lie, I was not really very kind to my spouse, and I blah, 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 blah. You, blue, blue, blue. What, what was the blue, blue, blue? Why is it that the very thing that we most need to confess is the thing that we try to hide? There's something within that human condition that we are afraid to be honest. And if you don't remember anything else about what I say this evening, my brothers and sisters, there are two things that we know about our God. Number one, that God is love. And that God loves us first. It's not that we have first loved God, but that God has first loved us. And because he loves us and because he created us, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And therefore, unlike the, divine, or the regular physician here on earth who has to ask us to give symptoms, the truth is when you go into the physician of the divine, namely our God, he already knows what our symptoms are. We need to know them. He already knows what our sickness is. We need to listen to him. And that sickness is our sin. Now, hopefully tonight, if in fact I get a little excited and I start talking a little too fast, just wave your hand and I'll know to slow down, okay? In that first sin of Adam and Eve, and we just had these readings recently in daily Mass. Remember, we had the story of the creation account. And God created everything. First of all, God said, dot, dot, dot. And it happened, dot, dot, dot. And God saw, and it was what? It was very good. Well, when God then created Adam and Eve, and he told them not to eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of good and evil, what do Adam and Eve do? They eat the fruit of that tree. And immediately, 
immediately, my brothers and sisters, what were the two things that Adam and Eve immediately did? They hid from God and they... They covered their nakedness. St. John Paul II said that that was because no longer could Adam and Eve trust each other. They had to cover their nakedness. They recognized that they were naked. My brothers and sisters, they hid from God. And that is a human condition. And that is one of the consequences of sin. Another consequence of that first sin of our parents, Adam and Eve, was that when they hid from God, what does God do? He goes in search of them. Adam, Eve, where are you? We hid ourselves because we were naked. And God said, who told you that you were naked? You therefore have eaten of the fruit of the tree of which I told you not to eat. Why did you do such a thing? And so another consequence of sin is scapegoating. Bishop Robert Barron, who is now a bishop in California, he speaks of this. In 2006, Bishop Barron came to speak in the Diocese of Wichita at our Wichita uh, priest gathering. And Bishop Barron spoke eloquently about this. And he said, what was the very first thing that Adam and Eve did after they hid from God and they covered their nakedness? When God goes, God wants to find out, why did you do such a thing? And so when God asks Adam, why did you do such a thing? What does Adam do? He blames Eve. And then so God turns to Eve and says, why did you do such a thing? And what does Eve do? She blames the serpent. That is correct. Now, because I know that you're very intelligent here at this St. Francis Xavier in Junction City. What does God actually say when God said to Adam, why did you do such a thing? What does Adam actually respond? Right. What does he say? He says, the woman whom you put here with me. So indirectly, Adam is blaming Almighty God for sin. How dark is that? Why should we not be surprised, therefore, that we are also going to be finding ourselves in this mystery of wanting to keep things secret, hidden? But God, who is light, sees right through that. God sees right into our heart. Not as man sees, does God see. For man sees the external, but God looks into the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's a beautiful story. The season of Lent is our annual spiritual checkup. And so we go to God and we know that God is love and we know that God is truth. So if in fact we are going to deepen our spiritual life during this season of Lent, Whatever it is that we do during Lent, are we doing it in love and are we doing it in truth? What is love? Love is to will the good of the other. To will the good of the other. And so when in fact I do something in love, I do it not for my sake, but for the good of the other. I love music. I grew up in a musical family. My mom played in the Wichita Symphony cello for 40 years. My cousin is a violinist in the Wichita Symphony, and this is her 43rd year. I grew up being taught in music, and I love music. And I played in orchestras. And if you ever go to an opera or a musical, I think of Lent in terms of a stage. And the curtain is closed on the stage. And when the orchestra begins playing, I would get upset because the people in the audience would continue to be talking. And I would want to just stand up and from the orchestra pit say, quiet, listen. Because people think what? That the musical or the opera doesn't begin until the curtain opens. I'm going to suggest to you one of the ways of entering into the season of Lent, which begins on March 6th, on Ash Wednesday, that you begin by first of all recognizing the overture of the season of Lent. And that overture are the days of Ash Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, before the curtain opens. And the curtain opens on the first Sunday of Lent.
Now, the overture to the 2019 Lenten journey begins because what is an overture? An overture is a collection of the major themes that are going to be presented during the course of the unfolding play or musical or opera. And I suggest that the church has purposefully chosen specific readings in that overture of Ash Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday that are central to the rest of the Lenten journey. So, let's take a few moments walking through that overture of Lent. On Ash Wednesday, the gospel for that day teaches us how to follow the map to the journey of the kingdom of God. I know what the journey is in terms of its destination, and so do you. St. Thomas Aquinas beautifully said that we come from God and our whole journey in this life is to return to God. But sin gets me off track and I begin to get lost on this journey of faith. So, if in fact I need a map to be able to get back on track Jesus is that map, and he tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so there are three maps in the journey of Lent that help us, that should, in fact, be always remembered, not just during Lent, but all year long. And so what are the three maps? And I'm going to just ask if anybody can guess what they are. The three maps of Lent. Very good. Prayer. Fasting and almsgiving. So guess what the gospel reading is on Ash Wednesday? It's taken from Matthew chapter 6. It teaches us how to pray. So, again, because I know that you're a very intelligent congregation here at St. Francis Xavier in Junction City. What does Jesus say when you pray? What are you supposed to do? Go to your room, close the door, pray to your father in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. What are you not supposed to do? Stand in front on the synagogue or on street corners saying, Here I am, Lord, look at me. No, 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 no. When you pray, go to your room, close your door, pray to your father in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. What are you to pray? And it's in this passage that Jesus says, When you pray, say... Our Father, who art in heaven, Jesus teaches us his prayer. That's how we are to pray. When you fast, what are you supposed to do? Wash your face, comb your hair. Do not let people know that you're fasting. So what happens on Ash Wednesday, and this is an interesting thing in terms of the Catholic Church, because sometimes we and the, as priests and the church need to listen to the people of God. On Ash Wednesday, the churches are packed. Why? It's not a holy day of obligation. When we have holy days of obligation, people don't seem to come. But when we don't have holy days of obligation, people seem to come. Why do you come on Ash Wednesday? Why is this church packed on Ash Wednesday? And what happens on Ash Wednesday, you get those ashes on your forehead. And if, in fact, you go out into Junction City afterwards after having getting ashes on your forehead, and you're saying, look, I went to Mass. One of our former bishops in the Diocese of Wichita would get in trouble because he would tell the people at the Mass, he said, as soon as Ash Wednesday Mass is over, I want you to go into the bathroom and wash the ashes off your forehead. Woo! People would get upset. And I think he was trying to just get us to think, and he did. Oh boy, because I worked in the chancery office, I would get phone calls from angry parishioners saying, how come the bishop told us to do that? Well, all I can say is, what's the reason for you to wear the ashes on your forehead? Why are you doing that? Is it to draw attention to yourself? No. And I suggest again, these ways that the church gives us in terms of the overture of Lent are presenting the major themes that if in fact we pay attention to them, we are going to have a more effective spiritual deepening of Lent. When I fast, I am to wash my face, comb my hair, do not appear to anyone else that I am fasting. Your Father who sees in secret will repay you. The map of giving alms. 
What does Jesus say in terms of the gospel on Ash Wednesday about giving alms? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Again, don't do it for the sake of, see how much Father Father Kyle, how much so-and-so is giving to the church. No, 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 no. Do not do it for the sake of being seen. Do it for the sake of true love. So on Ash Wednesday, when we receive those ashes, I invite you to really pray, because March 6th is coming up, and to think about those maps, the three maps of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Take that gospel to prayer and ask, Lord, help me this Lent to pray as you teach, to give alms as you describe, and to fast in a way that does not draw attention to anyone, simply to do it out of love for you. The Thursday after Ash Wednesday, again, the overture of Lent continues. And on that day, the gospel is taken from Luke chapter 9. And Jesus says, if you wish to be my disciple, if you wish to come after me. And again, there are three steps of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you wish to come after me, what are the three steps of being a disciple? No, that's the second one. Deny yourself. The first one is so important. Deny yourself. Then number two is, somebody is, take up your cross. And the third is, follow me. My brothers and sisters, I find it fascinating that as I give retreats around the country, everybody forgets, not everybody, but so many of us forget the first step. You have to deny yourself because I can't do this by myself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. How does one deny oneself? Let me ask another question. How does one deny another? More specifically, how does Peter deny Jesus? Peter denies Jesus by what? Saying, I don't know that man. If in fact that's the way you deny another person, how does one deny oneself? I do not know myself. Well, then who do I go to? The divine physician who knows me better than I know myself, and that is the God who created me. That is why in prayer, we do well to go into the divine physician and say, Lord, help me to see myself as you see me at this time. The three steps, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Then the Friday after Ash Wednesday, and again, this continues this overture. These are the major themes. And if you can't go to daily Mass on these days, make sure and take in prayer those readings that the church gives us because they are so critically important as far as the components of the remaining 40 days that follow. On Friday after Ash Wednesday is an incredibly helpful, insightful teaching in the 58th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 58. Lo, on your fast day you carry out your own pursuits and drive out all your laborers. Yes, your fast ends in quarreling and fighting, striking with wicked claw. Would that today you might fast so as to make your voice heard on high. Is this the manner of fasting that I wish? That a man bow his head like a reed and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Do you call this a fast? This rather is the fasting that I wish. Releasing those bound unjustly. Untying the thongs of the yoke. Setting free the oppressed. Breaking every yoke. Sharing your bread with the hungry, sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, uh, clothing the naked when you see them, and not turning your back on your own. That's what fasting is about. It's not about, I need to lose 15 pounds so I look good in a swimsuit come June. It's not about me. Again, let's... 
deepen our understanding of these three maps of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Then on Saturday, Ash Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, on Saturday, the gospel is taken from Luke chapter 5, and Jesus says, Those who are healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And that is again the beginning of entering into the divine physician going to the Divine Physician for our annual spiritual checkup. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the journey of Lent. Now, Thank you. Putting together this puzzle. And that tonight, my brothers and sisters, is what we are going to begin doing tonight. As far as putting together the puzzle 
of our life and our journey to the kingdom of God. So, I've asked and I'm going to continue to ask and tomorrow uh, at the mission I will have a one-page summary of this so that if in fact you want to refer back to it during Lent you can certainly do so. So what are the three maps that we said that help us when we get lost? Prayer and almsgiving. Very good. And so these maps, the prayer, fasting, and almsgiving are important and critical elements, and I suggest not just during Lent, but all year long. Thank you. The bishops a couple of years ago wanted to give a little broader definition other than prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So the bishop suggested prayer is lifting up, fasting is giving up, and almsgiving is taking up. And we're doing it for God. And so remember when one of the scholars of the law asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest of all the laws? Again, in the Jewish Torah, there were 613 precepts of the law. And so what does Jesus say? This is the greatest of all the commandments that you want. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Father Kyle, you have a very intelligent, well-formed congregation. Absolutely. We need to know that. And again, what is love? Love is to will the good of the other for the sake of the other, not for myself. So that I love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and that I love my neighbor as myself. Those are the two great commandments. Okay, now let's put together the pieces of the puzzle. We said a moment ago that there are three maps that help us on the journey. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. There are two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, which of those three maps, and again, all of them can, but which one is most helpful to be able to love the Lord your God? Prayer. Which is the map that most helps us to love our neighbor? That is correct, almsgiving. Which is the map that most helps us to love ourselves? Fasting. Not to say that the others don't, but keeping that broad focus, again, putting together the pieces of the puzzle, the three maps of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, the two great commandments of love God first. Prayer helps me to love God first. If I'm not praying, I'm never going to grow in love of God, period. Secondly, fasting helps me to love myself in a balanced, ordered way. And almsgiving then helps me to love my neighbor. And so something beautiful as far as the family that you may do in terms of your tradition is some type of rice bowl that is placed on the dining room table for your family. And every time that you're thinking about going to buy something as far as a snack, instead of buying that, you put that money in that rice bowl and that money then at the end of Lent is given to a family or an individual who is truly in need. It's not about me. It's about loving my neighbor as I love myself. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Now, moving forward, another three pieces of the puzzle. The church teaches that there are three primary sources of sin. Does anyone know what those are? One of them, when that curtain opens on Sunday, on the first Sunday of Lent, there on the stage, Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The devil is one of the sources of sin. What is another source of sin? Today we heard in the reading at Mass, from the prophet Jeremiah. When one cursed is the one who turns to flesh. My brothers and sisters, flesh 
is a source of sin. And the third source of sin is the world. Not that the world is evil, God created the world, but when in fact our focus becomes just this world, then we forget that this is not our destination. So again, help me to remind or remind me the three sources of sin are the devil, flesh, and the world. Now, more pieces to the puzzle. The church then tells us that there are seven sins that are considered the most deadly. And this is where I want each of you to think, to begin to open your heart in terms of your appointment with the divine physician. Which of these seven deadly sins is most at work in your life at this time? Because it may not be the same sin as last year or five years ago. It may be the same sin. But which of these seven deadly sins is the one that right now is causing you to become lost in your journey to the kingdom of God? And again, you know what these deadly sins are. Pride, gluttony, envy, anger, lust, sloth, greed. Now again, in prayer, before Lent begins, to go to the divine position and say, God, which of these sins is most at work in my heart? And listen to the Lord speak. It's not to say that other sins aren't present. But when in fact we have an illness that needs to be healed, we need to know and diagnose what that illness is. What is the sin, O Lord? Is it greed, sloth, lust, anger, envy, gluttony, or pride? Now, I'm hoping that each one of you right now can immediately say, I think it's this one. Fine, please do not tell me what that is. But I'd ask you to take that to prayer between now and Ash Wednesday to make sure that you are discerning that that is what God wants you to see. Because I have found in spiritual direction that it is easy for a person to begin to focus the status of their spiritual life upon one particular sin and in so doing they become totally blind to the other sins around them that actually may be even more challenging. So take to the Lord. What is that sin, O Lord, that is right now most at present in my heart? Okay. Reminder. What were the three sources of sin? Devil, flesh, and the world. Now, I am going to state one of the deadly sins, and you are going to tell me which of those three sources of sin is the most prevalent to that particular sin? Because if, in fact, we know the sin, in order to heal the wound, we have to get the infection out. And in order to get to the very root of that sin, uprooting that, we need to know what is the source of that sin. So I'm going to give you the first one, and then you'll be able to do the other six, I'm sure. If, in fact, pride is the primary sin in your heart right now, the primary source of pride is the devil. If, in fact, gluttony is the sin, which is the primary source of that sin of gluttony? Envy. The world. That is correct. Anger. The devil. And again, not to say that the flesh and the world also aren't, uh, in fact, all of these, but there is one primary sin or source of sin that helps us. Lust. Everybody says that one with great courage and convincing. <laughs> Sloth. 
And there can be an argument on this when you're right. But it actually would fall primarily under the flesh. Because it's a spiritual indifference or a laziness. And I need to get the zeal to be able to go on this journey of faith. I believe, my brothers and sisters, that this sin is one of the most hidden because people don't really look at sloth, that it's hidden. And that's exactly where the devil wants it to remain, hidden. Greed, the world. Okay, very good. So, and we could have a long discussion about this, but the primary source of the sin of pride is the devil. The primary source of the sin of gluttony is the flesh. The primary source of the sin of envy is the world. The primary source of the sin of anger is the devil. The primary source of the sins of lust or sloth is the flesh. And the primary source of the sin of greed is the world. Now, putting the pieces together, if in fact pride whose primary source is the devil what is the map that gets me back on track what are the three maps excellent prayer fasting and almsgiving so if pride is the primary sin which map gets me back on track prayer very good Gluttony, fasting, envy, almsgiving, that is correct, very good, anger, lust, fasting, because we said what? What was the primary source of the sin of lust? The flesh. And so oftentimes, we only think of fasting in relation to the sin of gluttony. <laughs> Have you ever thought, I need to fast regarding the sin of lust? Fast from this. Ooh, doggies. This is much different than giving up Pepsi, believe me. <laughs> Sloth. What is the map that gets me back on track? Wait a minute. We said that the primary source of the sin of sloth is the flesh. Again, prayer is good. You can do all three of these, but I'm just asking you to think specifically. If, in fact, sloth is primarily the source of that sin is the flesh, then it also can be fasting. Again, prayer and almsgiving, great. Those are all good things. But I'm asking you to really focus upon what is that primary sin? Greed. If, in fact, greed is the primary sin, what is the map that gets me back on track? Almsgiving. I'm hoping this makes some sense. But I'm asking each of you to think again, taking to God, what is the primary sin in my heart right now in this Lenten journey of 2019, which is different than any other Lent? Where am I right now in my journey to the kingdom of God? And God puts together the pieces of that puzzle in our journey of life because he knows us better than we know ourselves. So again, of those sins, we've talked about seven deadly sins, Three maps that get us back on track. Two great commandments as far as to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The three sources of sin, the devil, flesh, and the world. So tomorrow you'll get the schematic one page that will help you to enter into this journey. Does that make sense? Okay. If it doesn't, just pretend that it does and lie. No, don't. <laughs> I told you not to lie. You're supposed to be truthful in this. But again, that temptation to go to God is, I really don't want to know. I, it, it's scary. It's scary. But just like when you go to the doctor, I just don't really want to know. So doctor, don't tell me. 
God waits for us. God waits for us. And again, I am so grateful that you are here tonight. And I am praying that as a parish of St. Francis Xavier, that we pray for each other on this journey. Because there are so many out there who are lost. And I said this morning, those two groups of individuals, one is the group who do not even recognize that they're in sin, and the other group who recognizes that they are in such great sin that there's no way that God can forgive me because I have done dot, 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 and therefore I am in despair and hopelessness. The season of Lent puts us back in a proper balance, and especially in the balance of the virtue of hope. Aristotle speaks of the virtue being lived in balance. Remember when you were a youngster on the playground? I don't think we have them anymore on most playgrounds, but the teeter-totter. And remember when you would try to find one of your classmates who weighed exactly what you did so that you could try to find that perfect balance? Virtue is lived in balance. The virtue of hope. If it falls into defect, if you're in defective hope, you fall into the sin of despair. If, on the other hand, you fall into an excess of the virtue of hope, you fall into presumption. Now, some people don't know what the sin of presumption is. The sin of presumption can be summarized very simply as, Well, God loves me, so therefore, he's going to forgive me because I can pretty much do whatever I please because God's always going to love me. Well, God does always love me, but I can't presume. I need to go to him and I need to ask for forgiveness. And my sisters and brothers, I want to share with you something that we often speak of as far as seeking forgiveness when we have hurt another But tomorrow, as we move on in terms of this next step of the journey of Lent, we're coming into the presence of the Divine Physician to seek forgiveness. But how do you seek forgiveness? Is there any gentleman here in the congregation named Tom? (laughs) Okay. Is there anybody named Philip? I'm trying to find to make sure that there isn't somebody whose name is okay, because this is a totally made-up scenario, okay? How about uh, Luella? Any woman named Luella? Okay, very good. Okay, we're going to use Luella and Philip, okay? Luella and Philip are married, and they've been married for some time, and one day Philip says something very hurtful to his wife. And when Philip recognizes, I shouldn't have said that, he goes to his wife, Luella, and says, Honey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. What happens? (laughs) That is one thing that she may say. Exactly. Yeah, you are sorry. I know you're sorry. Yes. (laughs) Honey, I'm sorry for what I said. Now, when Philip says that, he may mean that, but what is Luella to say to that request? Is it a request? All he's saying is, I am sorry. My brothers and sisters, that is not enough. We need to teach our children, and we ourselves as adults need to practice how we need to ask for forgiveness. Philip, when he realizes that he has said something hurtful to his wife, Luella, needs to go to her and say, Honey, I'm so sorry for what I said. Will you forgive me? Because when, in fact, Tom just says, Honey, I'm sorry for what I said, Luella may say, Okay. And Phil thinks, Hey, this is great. Everything's fine. And he walks away. You know what? It ain't fine. 
And the next time there's an argument, it's likely going to come up again. You remember when you dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Or again, she says, I'm not sure I can forgive you. And that's, I want to know the truth. And that's why we need to go when we hurt someone and say, I am sorry, will you forgive me? Because what we're really seeking, my sisters and brothers, when we come to Lent, is a great gift. It is the gift of forgiveness. The forgiveness from our God. We can't presume that God is going to give us that gift because we first need to recognize that I'm a sinner in need of that gift. Does that make sense? I need to go and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Will you forgive me? And of course, God always says, I forgive you. And when in fact we say, will you forgive me? Or in the case that we were just speaking, Tom says to Luella, or Philip, I'm sorry, got the wrong name. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> Here we have adultery now, too. No. <laughs> Philip, Philip says to Luella, I am sorry, will you forgive me? Then Luella can say, Honey, that hurts so badly. Right now I'm not sure. That is truth. Or perhaps Luella said, Yes. Philip, I do forgive you. And there is, God willing, at that point, reconciliation. I do believe there's a time to say, I am sorry. If I bump into you coming around the corner, it would be inappropriate and ridiculous for me to say, I am sorry, will you forgive me? No, I didn't intend to do anything there. But there is a time in which when I hurt someone, I need to ask for the gift of forgiveness. And that, my sisters and brothers, is what part of this journey to the divine physician of the season of Lent is. To recognize that I am a sinner. I am seeking forgiveness and mercy from Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ, in his love, grants me that gift. But sadly, so many people stay away. And tomorrow, we're going to continue in this journey of Lent by hoping and praying that every single parishioner of this parish family of St. Francis Xavier will receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Why do people stay away from that sacrament? And again, I'm asking you because I need to hear this from all of you. This isn't about any of you as far as why you stay away, but why do you think Catholics stay away from this sacrament of reconciliation? Embarrassment. Fear. I'm sorry? Pain, shame, pain, yes. Some, it's ignorance. Because it's been so long, they're afraid. I don't know how to go. I know Father Kyle well enough to know that he is not going to get upset. He's going to be joyful, as am I. And my sisters and brothers, in case you did not know, it would be great if in fact a priest could go to confession to himself. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. How long has it been since your last confession? It was. I need to go to confession because I am a sinner. And you need to go to confession because you are sinners. But those reasons that you gave over 30 years, I've asked people who've been away a long, long time. Remember what we said at the beginning of this conversation when the doctor says, why did you wait so long? And if there's any one of you here who right now are thinking, It's been a long time. God is speaking in your heart. And there are many out there who have been away from this sacrament for a long time and some of them have fallen into despair of thinking, I've done something so bad God won't forgive me. He can't forgive me. Or another lie, and this is a critical one. 
I keep falling into the same sin and so therefore I can't go to confession until after I've overcome the sin. What is the first step of being a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you wish to come after me, you must first what? Deny yourself. I can't do it by myself. That is the lie. I'll just continue working hard on this to overcome this sin. And then when I overcome this sin, then I'll be able to go to confession. And then I'll be able to confess my sin to God. And then God will forgive me. How foolish is that? It hasn't worked, has it? Sorry, I don't mean to yell at you. (laughs) It hurts, though, that so many people are given an opportunity for healing. And they're afraid or they're embarrassed or ashamed. And that's exactly what happened in that first sin of Adam and Eve, is it not? Because they were ashamed because they had done what God told them not to do. And therefore, they were embarrassed and ashamed. And they hid from God and they covered their nakedness. This is a consequence of sin. And because God so loved the world, in the fullness of time he sent his only begotten son so that all who believe in him might have eternal life. And that is why he died on that cross. And my brothers and sisters, at every Mass, when Father Kyle takes that chalice and he says, take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of, do not forget. Do not forget the Lord. He loves us. He forgives us. He has given us the gift of his very son who became one like us in all things but sin so that he might enter our human nature so that we who are sinners might enter into his divine life. We've talked about several things of the pieces of this puzzle. But again, going into the divine physician, I ask you to take to prayer beginning tonight And during the course of these next two and a half weeks before Ash Wednesday, Lord, what is the sin in my heart that right now is keeping me from loving you the more and loving my neighbor as myself? Once I've diagnosed by God's grace that sin, I identify what is the source of the sin, the three sources of sin, the devil, the flesh, and the world, which is the map that gets me back on track, prayer, fasting, or almsgiving, When, in fact, I start putting the pieces of the puzzle together, the prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, help me to follow Jesus Christ so that I may come after him by first denying myself, taking up my cross, and following the Lord. And that journey leads us to the kingdom of God. For Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.